On this season of the StoryCorps podcast from NPR, we're honoring the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising by sharing LGBTQ voices. I'm your host, Jasmine Morris, and in this episode, stories about finding your people. We'll hear from folks who found that within their families and from those who found family in their friends. As we'll hear from 71-year-old Jay Toole, discovering that who you feel most at home with might have nothing to do with the family you're born into. Here's Jay talking with her friend Jess Valdez at StoryCorps about the first time she wore boys' clothes and got her hair cut short as a 13-year-old back in 1961. And be warned, their conversation includes strong language. My father took one look at me and said, you're out of here, get the fuck out. I ended up on the streets, and I ended up living in Washington Square Park for years. Now, back then, the park was queer. I'm talking about homeless kids, you know, just like me, all trying to survive. You know, I lived in a box. I lived in bushes with the rats and the squirrels. And as a kid, there was nothing out there to help anybody if you were queer. But when I sobered up, I got my first ever apartment in 2001. And every day, I didn't care. If I went in that building 50 times a day, I was going to that mailbox and opening it up because I had a key. (laughs) I had a key. But just last year, at the age of 70, Jay became homeless again. And that's when Jess took her in. You know, as I got older, I've had my ups and I've had my downs. But we became friends. And then we became family. And you're one of the very few people that I absolutely trust with my life, and you saved it. I feel honored that you trust me enough to be part of your family. I know I can pick up the phone, and you will answer. And when you call, I will always answer. It is chosen family. It is a feeling of belonging. You know, when I was homeless and living in my box, this thought used to come to me all the time, like, I'm going to die, and no one's going to know it. And I didn't want anybody ever to feel the way I felt, to be scared, to be alone, to think that no one cares, you know, because there's people out there that care. I love you, Jess. I'm so proud knowing that, you know, I I got family. You do. You will always have a home, no matter what. That's Jay Toole speaking with a member of her chosen family, Jess Valdez. And it's worth noting, there are still many kids experiencing the same thing Jay did back in the 60s. Nearly half of all homeless youth in the U.S. are LGBTQ. Next, a different kind of chosen family. In the late 90s, Les and Scott Grantsmith had been married for 10 years and were raising their two daughters together when they were faced with the decision whether to remain a family or not. At the time, Les was withdrawn and depressed. Weeks passed where the couple barely spoke, until finally, Scott confronted Les. I said, what's going on? And then you said, I can't tell you, because if I do, 
you'll leave me and take the children and I'll never see them again. And I said, you'd probably better tell me then. Because <laughs> that you can't leave it hanging like that. You can't like leave that. it like that. So that's when I told you. First thing I remember is that you, you said that, that you were in the wrong body, that you should be a man. And if it had seemed to me that I was going to lose you and I was going to lose the kids, I would have said, okay, I'm not transitioning. It finally occurred to me to ask the question, should I stay or should I go? And uh, my visceral response was, well, I won't be better off. Les won't be better off. And the kids won't be better off. Amanda was seven at this point, And then I explained to her where this was going. And she burst into tears and threw herself onto my lap. And she says, oh, please, don't change into a man. If you have to change into anything, couldn't it be a cat? <laughs> and, and that was not a question I had prepared myself to answer. I mean, I was kind of stunned. <laughs> so right around that time, you had started transitioning, and we just kind of fell out of holding hands when we were walking along the street. Spontaneous affection. Yeah. We couldn't do it comfortably anymore. A lot of it was me, because it became clear that I would be perceived as gay, but I realized that I didn't fall in love with a couple of body pieces. I decided this is the person. And I was still the same person. More so. More like the fun person I remembered from 30 odd years ago than before the transition. Right. right. I mean, though, it's just been amazing to watch you. You stuck with it. You persisted. And every year, my, my respect for you grows and grows. I love, love you. you. <laughs> and here's Les with his two daughters. My name is Thea Grantsmith. I'm Amanda Grantsmith. I'm 18 years old. Do you remember the conversation where I told you I was transitioning? I think I was 11, right? 10, 11? 10. Yeah. I was really worried about you not wanting to be my mother anymore. So it was pretty uh, intense. Did, did you guys ever feel like maybe it was your fault that something that you guys had done? You no. made that pretty dang clear that it had nothing to do with us. What were you most concerned about when you told us? Well, you know, girls learn how to be women from their mothers. Right. And um, I was terrified that I was going to totally screw oh, you no. up and that, that you wouldn't be comfortable in your own skin. And my only defense against that in my mind was to go, they'll see love and have that be what makes a relationship work. So, and this is a little scary for me to ask, were you ever prepared to not see us again? No, or? that was never, ever okay. an option. If it had looked like dad couldn't have handled it, and if it was really freaking you out, it was always my promise I would stop. Dad said, like, when he was explaining it to me, we talk about it sometimes, it wasn't going to help anything if he left. He got over anything that was in him that told him that this was wrong or that he couldn't do it or that it would be too hard. He thought of me and Amanda and you, and he made the right decision. That's Les Grant-Smith talking with his daughters, Thea and Amanda Grant-Smith. Before that, you heard Les with Scott, his husband of 30 years. 
After the break, we'll hear from three more people who found new ways of making families through good times as well as the challenging ones. Stay with us. Hi, this is Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from the all-new three-row Subaru Ascent. There's room for seven or eight passengers and a choice of second-row captain's chairs or bench seating. The Ascent also features standard symmetrical all-wheel drive for added confidence in all-weather conditions. The Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. Learn more at Subaru.com. No matter what you've got planned, you need a song of the summer. This week on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we are rounding up experts from NPR Music. We will play a ton of songs to lift your spirits, and you might even find your next favorite artist. That's NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Listen and subscribe now. Welcome back. Next, we'll hear from Stefan Lynch Strassfeld. He came to StoryCorps with his friend Beth Tepper to talk about being raised by gay parents and the many men who he called his aunties as HIV and AIDS began to spread. My family were mostly gay guys who were my babysitters and the guys who, you know, took the pictures at my birthday parties. And I felt like I had this amazing family. I called them my aunties. And it was a really wonderful, amazing world that came crashing down. Starting in 82, the first person I knew died of AIDS. Um, A young guy named Steve. And how old were you at the time? I was 10 when he was diagnosed. And I remember I was on the beach, and I saw him, and he was covered in these purple spots. And I remember asking my dad, like, what's wrong with Steve? And my dad said, oh, he has this skin cancer called Kaposi's sarcoma. And I said, well, what is that? And my dad said, well, nobody really knows, but there's some gay men that are getting it. And within, I think, two months, Steve was dead. And it was pretty much a succession of deaths of my family throughout the next decade. My stepdad, Bill, died in 87. My dad died in 91 after a really grueling six months of me taking care of him. You know, I was 19, and at that point, everyone had died except for a handful of stragglers who I now hold near and dear to my heart, my aunties. It was a powerful family. There was a lot of love, and they modeled for me how to, how to survive an epidemic even if you were dying while doing it. That's Stefan Lynch Strassfeld in San Francisco. This next story is close to home for us. When you walk through the doors of StoryCorps' Brooklyn office, the first person to greet you at the front desk is Kathleen Payne. And after listening to dozens and dozens of StoryCorps interviews over the years, she decided to record her own. Kathleen sat down with Corinthia Isom. They first met in the mid-90s after Corinthia's mother, Deshawn, started singing in a gospel choir for LGBTQ people in New York. Deshawn had just come out as a lesbian to a few close friends, and Corinthia was just a child at the time. 
She was a stubborn woman, vibrant. She used to sing. She used to draw. She was a really loving type of person. And she looked like me. Yes. I look in the mirror and I see my mom. But she had her own vices. Yeah. And she had been a heroin addict. I remember at one point when I was talking to your mom, she had discovered that she was HIV positive And she said, it's really hard because I've been sober and I finally get my life back. And then I had this cold or flu-like thing that I couldn't shake. How did you find out that your mom was HIV positive? She sat me down one day on the steps and told me, you know, I have HIV and things are going to change within our lives. Me and my mother were very close in the last years. There was a point when April and I were partners and your mom had decided that we were going to take care of you when she passed away. And I remember that she said, don't tell her that I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't say anything, which made it kind of hard because we wanted to get to know you better. So every weekend, if when I would hang out with you and your mom, what were you thinking about when we started coming around so much? Y'all were cool. I knew that you guys were lesbian. That didn't bother me. When we got the news that your mom had passed on, I was really scared. For one thing, it was difficult for a lesbian couple to adopt. So we had to go through the whole guardianship thing. And I remember you asked us, do I have to call you mommy? We said, well, no. And then later on, you said, why do you guys talk like you're white? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I looked at you and I said, this is the way some black people talk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You guys are very educated. And for me, it was like, they're boring. (laughs) Like, they're so brainy. and They're going to want me to study all the time. But I enjoyed you guys. It was really a good experience. And I was looking forward to you guys being my parents. Your mom trusted that we would take care of you. And she knew we had the support of a lot of people who knew her and would be there for us, which is the kind of thing that you also develop when you're queer and your family may or may not accept you. And so you make your own family. Every day I think about my mom and she never talked to me about why she chose you guys. But she made a good choice. A very good choice. That's Kathleen Payne with her daughter, Corinthia Isom, at StoryCorps in New York City. And finally, we'll hear a conversation between MJ Seide and her granddaughter, Jenna Elprin. Jenna was 12 years old when they recorded back in 2009, and here, she asks about how MJ fell in love with Jenna's biological grandmother. Both Jenna and MJ call her Mamami. How has your life been different than what you thought it was going to be? I thought that my life was probably not one that was going to be worth living. There was this hole that I had all of my life because I never thought I'd be able to walk along the beach and hold somebody's hand because I'm gay. But, you know, when I fell in love with my mommy, I knew that she was my soulmate. Do you know what I mean by that? 
Yeah. I had never felt that way about anyone before. And um, after she had gotten her divorce from Grandpa Jim, she was very upfront with your mom. She told your mom she was in love and it was with a woman. And that was the first time that anyone was proud to say that they loved me. That made me the happiest I'd ever been in my life. And then when I got to know your mom and Uncle Justin, I knew that I had hit paradise because I now have a family that I can wrap my arms around. Is there anything that you've never told me but you want to tell me now? You know, you and I talk about most things, but this is the first time that we've ever talked about the fact that I'm gay. And I guess what I want to ask you is, does it embarrass you to have a gay grandma? No. No. It doesn't really matter because it just matters my relationship with you. I always tell you how much I love you, but I don't know that you can really understand the depth of it because you're someone that I never thought would be in my life and I can't imagine my life without you. You have always been a child that makes up her own mind, and I am so, so proud of you. Well, um, you're one of my favorite grandmas. You do, like, a lot of things with me, like ride roller coasters and <laughs> play poker. <laughs> I don't know what life would be like without you here. Oh, I love you, sweetheart. Love you, too. That's Jenna Elprin with her grandmother, MJ Seide, at StoryCorps in Norfolk, Virginia. Jenna is now 22 and recently graduated from college. And you can check out an animated version of this story on our website, storycorps.org. That's all for this episode of the StoryCorps podcast. It was produced by Judd S.D. Kendall and me. Our production assistant is Afi Yellow Duke. Our engineer is Jarrett Floyd. Natsumi Ajisaka is our fact checker. Special thanks to Nadia Raymond, Michael Garofalo, Jay Bourne, and StoryCorps facilitators Eloise Meltzer, Vanessa Gonzalez-Block, and Jeremy Helton. As always, you can see what music we used in this episode on our website, along with original artwork created for this season. And while you're there, learn how to participate in Stonewall Out Loud, StoryCorps' effort to record the voices of LGBTQ elders with the StoryCorps app. Head over to storycorps.org outloud to learn more. I'm Jasmine Morris for the StoryCorps podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by supporters of StoryCorps, an independently funded nonprofit organization. Go to storycorps.org to learn more.